You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. When it comes to rightful heirs to the throne, Targaryens don't just make claims, they incest. Oh, man. You said ahead of time that that joke was going to suck, but I wasn't prepared. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is Bradley Martin. With the Screener Squad, we're talking about House of the Dragon today, HBO's epic prequel spanning 20 to 25 years, based on Fire and Blood by George R.R. Martin. Essentially, we have the good, kind King Viserys, who doesn't have an heir. He's got a wife. He's got a gorgeous daughter. No heir, or rather no son, to carry on his kingdom when he should pass away. He does have a crazy brother, played by Matt Smith, Prince Daemon Targaryen, who would like to be king someday, but also he likes killing people and being intimate and erotic with ladies of the night. Now, he can never finish, though. Uh, Matt Smith, who played the doctor, you know, his sonic screwdriver doesn't work so good in this. After that description, I'm like, is this a bad time to say he's my favorite character in this whole thing? (laughs) (laughs) Now, tragedy does befall in the kingdom, and it seems like good King Viserys, played by Petty Constantine, that he'll never have an heir. But he has this dream, not so much a prophecy, though perhaps later it will be, that through his bloodline, the prince that was promised would bring peace throughout the land. He declares to his kingdom, My daughter will be my heir, Rhaenyra Targaryen. Long may she reign when I pass away. A lot of the other people of the land, of the other kingdoms, if you would call them that, are very political. They're not excited about this at all. They keep, you know, contacting him. Hey, I have a hot young daughter. Maybe you marry her and she gives you a son. Maybe we can have a pact that goes uh, beyond this silly little women should rule idea that you have. So King Viserys does choose a wife. And that happens to be Princess Reynard Targaryen's all-time bestie. Awkward. Alicent Hightower, 15 at the time. But her father, who plays the hand of the king, is elated. And based on his acting, you could say that he orchestrated this to come about. Who's to say? I mean, does the hand of the king service and... Uh, go about making sure the king's desires are met? Or does this hand pleasure himself? (laughs) That came out wrong. Oh, I think that came out perfectly. 
<laughs> with me today, someone who will always chill with the king while he picks out nice little fun little fun houses for his big model playset of the kingdom. Neil is with us. Good morrow. Also with me, someone who'll never bend the knee for any turn cloaks or vagabond kings with their styrofoam crowns. Elliot is with us. Good eve. And of course we have with us today someone who doesn't necessarily buy models, but can draft and draw those cities. Melina is with us. Hey, I didn't have to do a shameless plug. You did it for me. <laughs> Where we last left off, uh, this epic show, Game of Thrones, ended, I thought it was fine. I thought the final season was okay, especially for a final season. I've lived through a ton of terrible ones, Dexter. And this show managed to, with its first episode, win everybody back. Or did it? We all won back by House of the Dragon. One back, and I want that universal remote from Click so bad right now, so I can fast forward to 2023 or whenever we get season two. I want it right now. Yeah, I mean, I saw a prequel show to a fantasy series uh, that took me all over the map, showed me all sorts of characters, and really just gave me what I want. Um, but enough about uh, the Rings of Power. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought that the show reached the high heights of fine at points. Um, but I thought for the most part it was pretty middling and really overstuffed with a lot of characters and uh, plot that uh, was not translated well. I think this was more a show for the book readers. Uh, I haven't read Fire and Blood. I've read the... Uh, uh, Game of Thrones books, but this was, um, it was quite a lot. Hmm. We have dissension here. I would agree there's a lot of characters we get, and with the time jumps it gets more difficult, but I enjoyed this quite a bit. It felt, it, it felt part of the universe, you know, we referenced Rings of Power already, but that felt part of that universe. This definitely... <clears throat> did too and while i was disappointed with like how the ending played out in game of thrones because it was rushed not that i thought it was bad or i was owed anything but that they rushed certain things a bit this gave me uh a new energy into it it's also different showrunners we're not talking about the same setup at all for game of thrones so people should give it a chance just for that it's not if you were burned by D D, this isn't those two this is a different setup and a different way to tell the story, too. We jump almost 200 years before. The the, the book, as I understand it, which same as Elliot, I've read the Game of Thrones books, but not Fire and Blood. Fire and Blood's more of tales told from other people, not the characters involved. So they have a lot of room to create and stretch in there. And I thought with the first season, they did a pretty good job of... It's, it's a setup for what we really wanted. Big fucking fights of the realm with dragons. Uh, but still was fun getting there to this, this springboard of season two. I absolutely loved this show. I thought that this took me right back to what I loved about Game of Thrones when it was at its apex in quality. 
I don't hate the final season of Game of Thrones. I agree that it it is significantly weaker than what had come before. And I think that a lot of that had to do with, you know, D&D famously wanting to go, go off and do something else. And the fact that uh, George R. R. Martin has not, to this day, finished the books. So I thought its biggest problem was that it cut corners. It basically rounded the characters down to the their weakest possible dimension and it became so much more about the spectacle while forgetting to tell a very complicated and rich story this i thought delivered that in spades i thought that this goes back to what we all loved about the the early seasons of that first show you have the incredible dialogue the very complicated characters all of whom when you think, like, there's so many of whom you think you love them one moment and the next they will do something so horrific that it has you re-examining everything. And you're never, I think you're never quite sure whose side you're going to be on when the next episode rolls around, because every single time they bring something crazy in there, like, hey, well, what if we threw this at you? How do you feel now? And I was glued to my seat the whole time. So let's talk about these time jumps. The first one occurs in episode three, and three years have passed. We still have the same actors, and that's really what I want to talk about. Not so much the time jumps, but losing uh, two particular actors. We have Queen Ellicent Hightower, played by Emily Carey, and we have Princess... Rhaenyra Targaryen, played by... Millie Alcock. Millie Alcock. I was very sad that we lost both of them as performers. If not for the MVP performance, for the ladies at least, uh, Olivia Cook taking up the reins of uh, Queen Alicent Hightower. I loved seeing this just really touching and you know one of those friendships you could be like those two they're going to be old women at the old folks home you know being like a handful to everyone else i wonder how they'll get there together and seeing the story unfold and that kind of friendship change because of politics because the promises of power because of greed and because of the influence of everyone else around them and the most uh, devastating one being well what is your duty your duty is what is important how did you all feel about the overall arcing story with these time jumps and did you have a particular favorite one it's hmm. a loaded question yeah <laughs> well so are you, are you kind of asking if we had like an issue with the time jumps I know some people some yeah. people do, I didn't. Some people were like, I didn't want to lose those actors. I'm done with this show. I don't know who these new people are because, you know, children come into play. New bonds are met and other actors just show up as, and they have to be fully fleshed out because like, oh, yes, there you are. Four years have passed and we've known each other for all four. So we're close. And that's jarring for a lot of people. But how did you all deal with this presentation and should more shows do it well i'd say um there's kind of a rule in writing that you try and start closest to the beginning and for me these time jumps felt very utilitarian 
kind of trying to set up what is just going to be the rest of the show. I mean, I don't think we're going to really experience any time jumps from now on. Um, I could be wrong, but it, it, it felt like something that should have been done as a preface, maybe the 10 minute introduction to the show. Um, you know, the, uh, the Lord of the Rings movies kind of did that. Yeah. Uh, in the fellowship because yeah, as it is in the show, it is really kind of jarring every couple of episodes or so having that time jump. And I, you know, um, I love all of these actors, the younger actors and the older actors, but just in terms of story, I thought that those time jumps really, really hurt the pacing of the show that already had a lot of pacing issues. Hmm. Well, yeah, I didn't have a problem with the pacing at all. I didn't have an issue with the time jumps. And I think the reason for that, yeah, I missed Millie Alcock and um, the other actress, <laughs> the little, little Alicent. But that's because they gave great performances in the time that they were on. I didn't think that was a fault of the show. I thought that every episode, like you were saying before we started uh, recording, Brad, they are more self-contained in a lot of ways than we're used to with Game of Thrones because they are having to cover a huge jump in time, but they want you to feel kind of... I guess the best way I can put it is they want to kind of stop you at this moment of time and this moment in time with every single one of them and show, all right, well, here is what everyone is. Here's how everyone's faring essentially as a result of what happened over the last few years. Here is where we are now based on the decisions made in the previous episode. And yeah, I thought that the casting choices for the most part were pretty brilliant, especially in who they brought in to play Alicent and uh, Renera. I thought that Olivia Cooke was amazing. And I thought, yeah, Emma Darcy, who I don't think I've seen before, I thought they did an incredible job and really stepped into the shoes in a way that felt very natural, like a very natural continuation of how Millie Alcock played this character. I'm torn on the time jumps. Because I would have loved some of the meat in between these, but doing a Lord of the Rings, Watchmen, 10-minute synopsis of Elliot's description, I don't think we would have got the connection between Rhaenyra and Alicent, Rhaenyra and Damon, that is so key to the back half, back two-thirds of the story and season. So I can see pluses and minuses. I think it worked the way they did it, um, but I wouldn't mind that we stopped. And the way that the trick they do is they come in and there's like a messenger, like it's been six years since he left. Like they, they always kind of did a drop right in there. Like they might as well have just opened up on a sundial or a calendar and stopped on a page just so we know. Because there was always somebody early in the first minute of an episode time jump, because I think we go six months, then three years, and then six years. You know, it keeps jumping, but someone always did us the favor of uh, tell straight up telling us. They were telling someone else, but they're telling us. You were only four and ten years old then. Look at you now. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there was a lot of good buildup of who these people are before it's going to get ripped asunder by the strings that are attached to them, either by duty, by a parent, by the realm, or or whatever. I don't know if other shows could pull this off, because it totally depends on the story. And you're rolling the dice that four, in pairs, four actors can do that, of, like, pass the baton somewhere in there, 
and you're still in, invested. Of if the first two do great, then the bar set really high for the second two, taking over the older versions. Or if one's great and one's okay, like there's a lot of risk you take with that. I think it pays off here because they're given specific things, and then when we switch into the older versions, we're given new specific things. And Allison's way more of a persona now, not just uh, being puppeted completely by her father at this point. Um, and we get to see the, the range and rage of Allison at times. So it worked. I think they could have found other ways to do it, but we would have missed out if they just straight up, just like we jump into the older versions after a 10 minute here, we're going to get you caught up like a maester playing with little figures and he's acting it out. And then boom, we're there. Now, I don't know if it would have worked. That, I don't know if it would have worked. Yeah, I think this is the definition of show, of showing rather than telling. It's like you have just enough exposition drops to where you're caught up, you have an idea of how much time has passed. But man, yeah, I don't want... I don't want eight minutes of narration at the start of every ep- of every episode saying what has happened. I'm like, I just want to see these people play it out. And I thought that that was a really risky decision on their part, but I thought it was the better decision. I thought it worked. And I thought that a lot of that had to do with the fact that you, this is about so much more than, this is not about a great war. The scale here is much smaller. This is family strife. This is civil war. This is about relationships and how they change and how people deal with these completely unenviable, however powerful positions that they're put in. And I thought that if you had tried to, if you tried to fast forward to where we know they're going to go next, which is essentially the Dance of the Dragons, then you wouldn't care as much because you wouldn't have a sense of who these people are. You wouldn't have a sense of the intricacies of how their relationships with each other are moving this wheel forward. But... I just thought of this. Eight minutes to the start of every episode of Damon. Silky smooth voice, silky haired Damon telling us what's been happening. I would have loved to see that alternate version of if he's our narrator. <laughs> the way Matt Smith portrayed this character and the dialogue he had. I think that would have been fun as shit. Uh, I think this character was all over the place in the series. But it was well defined and played out. Of where he starts to where he ends is that peg is nowhere near where it was on the board at the start. If he was my narrator at the beginning of each episode, I'm down for seeing what that would be. Get him to do the audio book, George R. R. Martin. Just a, oh, just yes, a suggestion. Please. I would love that. Now, before we get into our final thoughts, I do want to bring up the topic of violence and spectacle. A lot of people loved that original series because of the shock, the awe, the visceral, bloody, bleh of everything. This budget is ridiculous. I thought it was uh, outstanding, this violence. Very gooey, very slashy. And uh, Matt Smith, MVP in this regard, he sells the, yes, I have been on a battlefield before. I will bathe in the blood I spilled today type of attitude. (laughs) Did y'all have any favorite moments of, whoa, in the show. He can keep his tongue. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I would that, say. Yes. <laughs> that was mine, but I was going to back up seconds and go say it. Say it. Say like, it. I'm at the same scene with you, Molina. Say it. <laughs> How loud did y'all scream <laughs> in that scene? Oh, my God. That was shocking. But I love it. Good one tonight. 
that you know it's a spoiler like a big spoiler so i'm not gonna say it um yeah you know he can keep his time was pretty good yeah for me like i said love the violence uh if y'all seen How to Train Your Dragon, if you ever thought would that would that actually look convincing and like a real life actor trying to do that? Yes, yes, it would. And oh, it's beautiful. Oh man, I want a dragon. I would like to own one. I'd probably get burned alive, but I I try. Oh, and I'd and try. not to go off on too much of a tangent, but yeah, one thing that I really want to touch on is the the dragons themselves that show up in this. I thought that the designs for these dragons were really interesting. Like they did not copy and paste the designs of the original dragons that uh, Daenerys rides in Game of Thrones. They all have very unique looks to them. Like Seraxis has the very elongated neck and Vagar looks like this giant crocodile. I'm like, that was, and man, the dragon riding sequences in this, I have never wanted to ride a dragon more or less in the same moment. Same. Let's carry that into our final thoughts. Uh, Elliot, would you start, please? Yeah, you know, I think I'm definitely the one that was down on the show the most. Um, I found it to be really, really unevenly paced. I mean, I think the show, I think the the word I would associate with the show is uneven. Uh, The pacing is uneven. Just a lot of the writing choices, you know, I think we talked about the time jumps. Um,. You know, I think the show would have been much, much better if it had not had any time jumps. I, um, whether that's sort of drawing out the beginning or just severing it entirely, I don't know. But, you know, I mean, there was a lot of good performances. The uh, the main through line of Rhaenyra and um, Alicent was pretty good. Matt Smith is really bringing it. I, you know, Patty Considine is... Probably giving the best performance in the show as someone who is slowly dying over the course of several decades. The makeup work on him was also just incredible. There's just, I, I could never connect with this show really on, on a lot of levels, even though I wanted to. Um, I might tune in for the second season, but it's not something I'm looking forward to. I'm going to give this six and a half out of ten raves in king's landing (laughs) they're lit neil i'm excited i was excited coming in uh the show paid it off for the most part um i think another person that deserves a shout out is reese evans who this guy's the lizard this guy's the chain smoking place kicker in the replacements he's the best friend roommate in notting hill didn't recognize in the first two episodes and he's the picture of subdued uh determination and threat like we 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 get a character this season that's very much a little finger like we do the comparisons back but there's no one really like Otto hightower from game of thrones maybe tywin maybe but i think Otto's way more of a threat in this and he does not get enough because everyone else was doing such amazing shit, I want to give him a shout out too. It was, um, we miss him in the middle, but the story did that. Um, anxious for season two because now we can cast all the pomp and circumstance aside, get on dragons, and burn the kingdom down. I'm going <laughs> to give this nine out of ten secret legacy daggers. Ooh, an Easter egg? <laughs> question mark. Molina. 
Well, um, I think it's pretty obvious that, yeah, I really don't have anything, I don't have anything bad to say about this series, which I'm surprised by. I was kind of burned, if you'll excuse the term, by uh, season eight of Game of Thrones. I don't think it's terrible, but it just was so far from what it had been. And I think this is such a return to the quality that you expected from a show that for the most of it was one of the best TV shows, I think, in history. And I will die on that hill. Um, I will die on that hill screaming if I have to. Um, but I think that there's nothing about this show that feels copied and pasted or recycled from that show. It has the same DNA, but these characters stand on their own. They, like, the score is brilliant. Same composer, Raman Jawadi, but he has created something new and unique. Even King's Landing feels different because we've got 200 years until we see it as we know it. I thought this just had a great base. These They learned from their mistakes from the past. They brought in people who clearly have a set path for where this is going to go. They have a beginning, middle, and end. And if you're me and you watched Game of Thrones as many times as I have, you know what that end is. But that's okay. I am having a blast seeing how they hit all those notes and I look forward to that end and dread it. So yeah, I highly recommend this. I give this nine and a half out of ten hours it must take Auntie Rainice to do her hair every day. <laughs> so I think this season, and really uh, the foundational theme of Game of Thrones in general, of a George R. R. Martin political swords and sandals cloak and dagger thriller, comes to one of my all-time favorite quotes from a movie, as said by George Clooney. I understand what you're saying, and your comments are valuable, but I'm going to ignore your advice. This did win me back pretty quickly. It opened up with a tournament, and I thought, here we go, just like in the first season of Game of Thrones, we're getting the tourney, there are no more original ideas... But then it quickly s separates itself from that first season. And we have, you know, the two uh, young friends watching the tournament, one cheering for her uncle Damon, who I think is going to be like, whoops, accidentally killed him. That's how I roll. Because he's a very terrifying man. He's got privilege. And he has uh, his brother, the king, on his side to be like, leave Damon alone. He's a good boy, you know. For political reasons, then behind closed door, he's being like, damn it, Damon, really? His head? His whole head? And as the show progresses, we get to see a life lived. And that's my favorite part as well. The The lives lived we see. The political stuff, as I said, I can get a bit confused by that. Shout out to my mother-in-law, Denise, for explaining how lines of succession work. And also there's a tragedy that occurs that I've suffered with my wife and the way that was handled was beautiful, horrible to see, uh, horrible to feel. Anyone with any empathy could see these performances and have their heart break for the, these actresses and these actors uh, going through that. And I'm sorry to be very vague, but that was also a 10 out of 10. It comes down to, would I do it all again? Do I have six to eight more years to watch this show to where the ending could just be fine. And I've matured enough to know that maybe as far as this one goes, though, it did have a lot of those good stories that I love. 
and I'll probably think about and watch again. I'll still watch season two and three of the original Thrones, for example, because those are great peak television seasons all the way up until four, I'd say. So I'm going to give this one. And again, it'll probably change in the future, depending on how it turns out. 7.5 out of 10 cannibal crab cakes. <laughs> so do any of you have any bard skills to play us out? I'll leave that to Damon. <laughs> Damon the Dragon Whisperer. <laughs> <laughs>